Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's guest is going to be someone who can talk with you about women and intermittent fasting because she's used IF and keto to be a part of her life after cancer. And she's well-known journalist Amy Robach, who's covered major national and global news events. She co-anchors ABC News GMA3, What You Need to Know, and is on 2020, The Investigative Show. You'll find her on Good Morning America and on other ABC News platforms. We're going to learn from Amy how she handles the demands of that amazing career blended with her family and her wellness and how IF plays into her life. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dave. I'm excited. Now, you're a professional journalist, so I'm going to be able to ask you lots of questions because you've <laughs> asked more questions than I have at this point, right? <laughs> uh, probably, but I will say I do prefer asking them rather than answering them, but that's all right. I'll, I'll let the tables be turned for this hour. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking the time to do it. It's uh, it's really cool. Um, you, in 2013, had an on-air mammogram for Breast mm-hmm. Awareness Month. You were 40. You'd never done a mammogram. What happened? So I wasn't going to have a mammogram until I was 50 because those are the guidelines. Those are the recommendations for anyone who has uh, no family history. And so I was of average risk. That's what they call it when you don't have family history. So you can wait until you're 50. I considered myself a relatively healthy person. And my mom is one of nine. My dad is one of six. So I have lots of aunts. I have lots of female first cousins. No one had breast cancer. So when Robin Roberts in Good Morning America asked me to have a mammogram at 40 in a mammavan in the middle of Times Square on live national television in front of about 5 million people, I said, no, that's ridiculous. Why would I do that? And Robin told me that more than 80% of all breast cancer patients have no family history and that I was the perfect person to walk into that mammavan because it seemed to her that I thought cancer couldn't happen to me. And that's the way a lot of women and people in general feel, especially if they don't have that connection, they think it could never happen to me. And so she told me, I guarantee you, if you walk into that mammavan, you will convince at least one woman to make that appointment, to, to, to keep that appointment, and she will find her cancer early because of you. You will save a life, is what she told me. So pretty hard to say no to that. So I did a 180. I said, all right, Robin, this is for you. Like, literally, this one's for you. I will do this. She's a breast cancer thriver herself. And so I just felt like that was the right thing to do for another woman. I went in I started getting phone calls from a number that I didn't recognize. And so I didn't answer for over a week. And finally, my assistant called me and said, has the breast imaging center from the Mamavan gotten a hold of you? They've been trying to call you. They finally got her. And I said, oh, that's that number. And then I never listened to my voicemails. It's right, really right. irresponsible, <laughs> but that's just the way I am. And so then, I started li- right, so then I started listening to these voicemails and they were very urgent saying we need to get a hold of you. So... Long story short, they told me that I needed to get a follow-up, that they saw something suspicious. I sent it to my OBGYN. She told me it's most likely calcium deposits. It's most likely nothing. But out of an abundance of caution, you should get this follow-up mammogram. And I will tell you, I scheduled it begrudgingly a couple weeks later, actually annoyed and not nervous at all, thinking this is why 40-year-olds shouldn't get mammograms because they have (laughs) unnecessary testing and, and unnecessary anxiety. And so I just thought, oh, here we go. 
And I got a call the night before, this is pretty interesting, from uh, NYU. And they said, your insurance company has rejected your follow-up mammogram. Uh, so you'll have to be paying for this out of pocket. You need to give us a credit card number right now. And I said, well, how much is this going to be? And they told me minimum $800, but it could be double that depending on how many images we need to take. And I have to tell you, and I'm a well-paid um, career woman who had the money and I have great insurance, but I still hesitated because I just thought, wow, that's a lot of money for something that's probably nothing. And for a second, I thought about saying, cool, I'll just wait till next year. And how many women would have had to have said that? Wouldn't have had the choice but to wait another year, right? So it was one of the first things that popped in my mind the following day when I had a radiologist telling me I had breast cancer. And it was one of the first things my mind went to, oh my God, what if I had waited a year? And so I ended up after several tests and after surgery, um, I ended up having two malignant tumors in my right breast and it had spread to my lymph nodes. And so I was stage two invasive breast cancer and I went through eight rounds of chemo and had several surgeries and I'm on drug therapy, tamoxifen for 10 years and most likely will be on another drug therapy after that. Um, Probably be on some sort of medication for uh, the next several years, but I'm grateful for that. There are a lot of side effects, but I'm just grateful that I have that that, um, opportunity to be able to have a better chance at living longer and potentially dying of something other than breast cancer. But once you have a cancer diagnosis, it lives with you for the rest of your life because every six months you go and you get your blood tested and they're looking for tumor markers and you literally get, you know, this or this. And I have to tell you, it's, it messes with your mind. It messes with everything. And, and at first it was crippling. It was debilitating. I, would go into panic mode. I, I'm getting emotional even thinking about it, the, the week of, and then waiting for the test results. And that's the way I live for the rest of my life. So then you have to decide, what am I going to do with this fear? Am I going to let it cripple me or am I going to let it motivate me? A, to live better and, and B, to do everything I can to be as healthy and as strong and as fit as possible if I get that bad news one of these days. Do you ever find that the fear that's that's still there that it makes you procrastinate on your six month visits? You're like, oh, like like some part of you just doesn't want to deal with it. And, and yes, you, yes. Okay. How do you yes. manage that? Um, I just, I have a, I know that I'm not going to feel that relief until I get it done. Like I, I actually punted. I waited eight months this time, and then it was just in the back of my head, just eating at me, eating away, eating away. And I know it's not going to get better until I go ahead and make the appointment. So it's just a matter of how much do I want to suffer, you know, either get it over with or keep punting. I I feel like a lot of people don't want to look at their anti-aging labs because they're sort of afraid of what they'll find. And so you procrastinate. I'm even guilty of that. I mean, I've had so many labs, but it's like, you know, I, I'm not really worried about what I want to find, but it's work. And that, you know, what if you don't find something and there's that little voice in the back of your head, and I think it's it's healthy that you're sharing that that's going on, even though you know you should do it. You, Correct. You still waited a couple months. <laughs> do you rely on on external ca- accountability? I mean, do you have an assistant yeah. or family member or someone who's like, you have to do this now? Is that the trick? 
Well, with other things in my life, 100%, my assistant is, uh, I love her. Her name's Dineska, and she is on me to, to, to make sure I get everything done that I need to get done. But when it comes to my personal health and fitness, I am my own motivator. Now, I have friends who I've surrounded myself where we're all motivated by fitness. And so I go to bed each night texting my my run buddy, when are we running today, tomorrow, what time? And I make a date. I make a date to either run or to go to the gym. Now we don't really do that, but you know, to do a, a Peloton Zoom class or whatever. And I don't miss a day where I don't make an appointment with, I've got two, two friends, but one in particular, and we hold each other accountable and it's pretty awesome. So you, you rely on a friend for that, uh, yeah. which is so important, especially when everyone's at home. Uh, just to have yeah. that, uh, because holding yourself accountable for health stuff is really hard for everyone. Even and in your case, you think it'd be easy because you know you <laughs> face something that could have been fatal, but you're still relying on friends to do that. And and thank you uh, for just talking about that because it's a big deal. What what other things uh, are you doing in in terms of okay? And I, I've I've had this happen. Did you change your priorities? Did you change how you 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 just allocate your day because of this? Talk about I, that. I've changed everything in my life. And it was a slow evolution because at first, like I said, you're crippled by the fear. You feel sorry for yourself. You feel weak. I didn't trust my body. And I was scared to trust it. I was scared to make plans. I thought if I do, then something bad will happen. And so I had to get out of that cycle. And it was a slow process. And it started with me running again and building up the belief and strength in my own body. But now I've gotten to a point where, I mean, I've worked on myself, not just physically and not just nutritionally, but also spiritually. And so I wake up now, I meditate, which I never did before, 10 minutes every morning. And then I've already prioritized my fitness. Like I already know at what point during the day I'm going to be doing what and for how long. And I, we, my, we, yesterday we were just like, let's run eight miles. And so we, my husband runs with me too. So we just kind of spur each other on. But I also, one of the big things I ask myself when I wake up is, what am I going to do to enjoy my day? And I've joked that I live my life like a country music song. I live like I'm dying because we all are. We're all one day closer to our deaths. Um, I think those of us who have looked at it head on are more aware that anything can happen at any moment and you should live each day like it's your last. And so how can I enjoy every moment actually, even when it's something I don't want to be doing, can I at least accept it? Can I surrender to what is, and then just find a way to maybe up the game and make it fun or make it enjoyable or do it with someone I love. And so I really set my priorities on how I can enjoy my day and how I can give love and receive love. And those are my goals. My goals used to be very career oriented and, and, um, you know, like I'd make a list every day and I'd have to achieve certain things before I felt like I had a good day. Now the priority is on enjoyment and less on achievement. Which is higher on your list, health or enjoyment? <laughs> I think they go hand in hand. I mean, I'm one of those weird people who enjoys running and enjoys going to classes and enjoys making my keto meals every night and planning them out. Like I actually have fun while I'm contributing to my health. I, and, and, you know, I also find ways to hike the world and we're, we were 
planning on running the marathon in Berlin until uh, COVID-19 struck. So just finding fun ways to make fitness and health enjoyable and exciting and adventurous. So they they go hand in hand, which is a brilliant strategy, right? Because if you had to do it, you might as well make it social and fun. I like Exactly. Yeah, I don't do it alone. I don't do it alone. I d- I'm always with friends, and that's what makes it fun. I think if I had to do it by myself, it would feel different. Uh, so that that's a great piece of advice for listeners. You know, find a friend even on Zoom, and you can both yeah. ride your exercise bikes together and you, social time, right? Okay. Yeah. Do you love your body now? I do. I do. I'm proud of it. I work hard for it. I, I'm 47 years old, had two uh, children and uh, battled cancer. I have scars to prove all of those things. And I do love the body I'm in. And I sometimes when I'm running, I can get emotional because I'm, I'm proud of where I am on a strength level. It's not about how much I weigh um, or even how I look in clothes. I just feel strong. And so I'm proud of how strong my body feels. That was actually the intent behind my question. Thank you for eking that. I didn't mean with how your body <laughs> looks, but like you, just, right. you actually love your body, right? Yes. Uh, because it, it's providing you strength now. And yes. how about loving yourself? A lot mm-hmm. of cancer survivors develop a, a kind of a sense of distrust of themselves. Did yeah. the spiritual work you did help you there? It's been helping me and I'm I'm still on that path and still on that journey, but I know that Yes, the first question you ask is, what did I do to deserve this? And then I have, I've beaten myself up. It's, I say, oh, it was when I was so stressed about my career or so stressed about my divorce and so stressed about blending a family. And I let all of that stress get to me. And then that's why cancer happened to me. But you really do blame yourself. And it's not healthy or helpful to go into a blame game. But what you can do is how can I change how I think of myself, how I think of others, what energy I allow into my body and how can I find peace? So, you know, I'm always striving for peace and joy from within, not from external sources. And so I'm always, I'm, I am, when I'm running, uh, I'm running a lot of times to self-help books. (laughs) So I'm not, sometimes I listen to music. Yes. And that's great. But then yesterday I ran to Eckhart Tolle, um, you know, and I've listened to his book multiple times, The New Earth, The Power of Now, Michael Singer, um, you know, Gabby Bernstein. I am listening to, uh, so many of these people who I admire on how to think differently and change your attitude towards what's happening. And so, you know, with that fear of recurrence, you know, that's my biggest battle because what I didn't realize until I had breast cancer is when breast cancer is metastatic, when it returns, um, you know, it right now it is a terminal disease. There is no cure for stage four metastatic breast cancer. And that's what they're testing for. And that is something that can take your breath away. Like if it, if it returns, if it metastasizes, I can live for a while and I can live, you know, probably pretty beautifully, but that is what is going to end my life. And that is such a scary thing that hangs over my head. And instead of having it be a macabre thing, what I try to do is make it, like I said, be a motivating thing. Yep, that's right. It could happen. You could also get hit by a bus. I'm a journalist. I've covered tragedies all around the world. I see what can happen in a split second. And so all of these things, I think, make me realize that this spiritual work that I'm doing, that I think a lot of people are doing, is exactly what we should be doing. And, and these tragedies or these moments or these, these unthinkable things that happen 
are the motivator to guide us onto the path we're supposed to be on. So like if everything had gone great and I had not gotten cancer and, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be, I know I wouldn't be who I am today uh, from a, from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint, from a spiritual standpoint. So in a way you kind of have to thank these moments that shook you enough. Uh, what do the young kids say? You're woke. I got woke, <laughs> uh, you know, from that. But I remember my oncologist telling me, and I remember not being ready to hear this, that every woman who had had breast cancer 10 years reflecting back wouldn't give it back because it changed who they were so fundamentally and made them so much better than they ever would have been. They wouldn't give it back. So you've really achieved gratitude, which is a hard state to be, especially for something that can be so you know, yeah. fearful. Uh, congratulations. Would, <laughs> Thanks. It, is there one... Uh, one thought leader, personal development person who stands out as the one who helped you achieve gratitude? Uh, it's Eckhart. Like, no it, it question. It was Eckhart, okay. <laughs> it, it was Eckhart Tolle. No okay. question. When I read A New Earth, it changed my life. Like, it actually changed my life. I was introduced, I think, first to this world because I was listening to Oprah's Super Soul Conversations. And so she's interviewing all of these amazing um, leaders from Deepak to, like I said, Michael Singer, who was also one of my favorite untethered soul. That was probably my entree into it. And then I think I got my master's degree <laughs> when I started listening to Eckhart because it took it to another level for me that I understood it. And, you know, it's funny, 15 years ago, I don't know when a new earth, not a new earth, when um, the power of now came out, I can't remember how long ago it was. I remember someone gave me the book and I started reading it. And I was like, what is this? And I, I wasn't ready for it. I, I didn't, I, I, I read the words, but they didn't hit me. They didn't move me. They didn't change me. I didn't feel it. And I don't, I don't think I read past chapter two. I was like, no, thanks. So it's so interesting. You know, when you're ready for it, it's life-changing. When you're not ready for it, it's almost like you're reading Chinese. I love that when you're ready for it mindset, because if you're not called to read it, you can't force yourself to do it. It doesn't work. It, is it the same thing for nutritional stuff? I mean, you've you've gotten into keto and IF. <laughs> Did people pitch that to you before cancer and you kind of rolled your eyes and said, what the heck? I used to joke and say, I drink Chardonnay and eat French fries as much as I want and I'm fine. And it was almost, you know, hubris at that point, you know, just thinking, I'm fine. As long as I work out, I can eat whatever I want. And I wish so that was the, true. I, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but guess what? It's not. So, um, you know, it it definitely, I remember when I started, I had a friend actually give me some research on metastatic cancer and keto. They've done several studies and they're doing more. And there's more and more coming out, I, I find, I feel like weekly about metastasis and keto and fasting. And it's, my biggest takeaway is it can't hurt <laughs> and it likely can help. And I've never felt better in my life. And so when I first started trying it, I actually thought it was so counterintuitive eating healthy fats instead of avoiding all fats, which I had done my entire life. And then realizing how many carbs I was actually eating and pretty much why I was hypoglycemic. I had to eat when I was on Good Morning America, I would have three breakfasts. I would wake up yes. you know, at 5 a.m. and have a breakfast. Then on the set, I'd start starving and I'd have to have a breakfast. And then when I got off the set, I'd have to eat again. Now I can fast all the way till noon and be perfectly fine. And it's this amazing feeling of I'm not a slave to my next snack or a slave to my next meal. 
And it's so empowering. And my brain is working sharper. I don't search for words the way I did. I don't get lethargic in the middle of the day and need a coffee. I mean, it was unbelievable. All the effects that I didn't even know were going to happen until they did. We're about the same age. And around now is when a lot of women's brains go sideways Yep, <laughs> uh, for several years, right? And you're saying your brain works better now, yes. even after chemo, which can be rough on the brain right. because of what you're doing with food. Uh, I found a study that's in Fast This Way, my new fasting book, that, that quantified the number of thoughts people have every day. And it said that at least 15% of the average person's thoughts are about what is their next meal. Right. And, and that, that freedom to not think about food means you can also think about something else, right? Yep. I just got chills because it was all I thought about before. Yeah, I mean, me it was too. just like, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. And I just didn't realize that if you actually put the right fats in your body, you don't think about food. You forget. Oh, whoa, I didn't eat. That's where I am. I, you know, I, I eat two meals a day and I'm, but sometimes it's, it still blows my mind that I just didn't need to eat because I do like a brunch, basically. I didn't need to eat lunch or I didn't need to have that afternoon coffee. And it was, I remember just feeling giddy about it. Like I, all this time I have back, <laughs> not sense, just in my thoughts, freedom, right? <laughs> but like searching for food and having to make the food and then having to clean up the food and having to buy the food. It was freedom. And that was one of my favorite unexpected uh, joys from fasting and keto. Thank you for saying those those experiences. It's 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 freedom in the head and it's freedom in the life. Uh, just because right. food is not your master, and I right. I really appreciate how you said that. Now, you're doing IF six days a week. Yes, I I mean, and it's not even like I I do it seven days a week sometimes. But if I really want to on a weekend, I'll say okay, today's the day. I mean, I I would say twelve hours is me not fasting. You know. Um, so that would be my non-fasting day. I would never eat before 12 hours. Um, which isn't as, as harsh as it seems. Cause I mean, no. if you have dinner before eight and then you have breakfast after eight, that's a 12 hour fast, right? Exactly. It's very what, easy. What's the, the length of fast that works mm -hmm. best for you? So I like a 16 hour fast. Um, 16, eight is what I usually do, but every now and then, you know, like I said, if I listen to my body and somehow I feel like I'm the only time I'll do a 14, 10 is if I'm, I know I have a major workout and I have to get it in before the run, or if I waited, it'd be too close to my run time. So those are the only times I kind of wiggle it a little bit because I know, oh, I'm about to do a 10 mile run. And if I, if I eat too close to it, that's not going to work. And if I don't eat at all, that's not going to work. But I'm telling you, I just did a seven mile run two weeks ago on a 17 hour fast and I was fine. So, you know, it's amazing what your body can do. You, you just blew everyone's mind with that because most people are like, that, that's not even possible. And you're like, but yeah, and I'm a cancer survivor and I'm a woman and, you know, <laughs> all, all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it would have been impossible for me to even consider before. And that's why I'm kind of laughing, thinking, how is my body able to do this? And then you realize our bodies are capable of so much more than we give them credit for. And that's been also some of the beauty in all of this, just marveling at what our bodies can do and what they can do really well if we know the science behind it. Do your colleagues make fun of you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So are you like that person in the break room? Like, don't eat the donut. You don't want to do that. You have <laughs> well, to do that. 
they probably hide them from me. They don't want to, they don't want to have me see them. I'm like, I'm not judging you to each his own. Like, I don't want to be that person. But I do think initially I was what you call a keto evangelist because you get so excited about how great you feel. You want to share it. It's not even that I think everyone needs to or shouldn't. Certainly everyone isn't able to do some of the things that, that I can do. And obviously you should talk to your doctor, but you just want to spread the information because again, it's so counterintuitive to American culture and how we were raised and how we were taught to eat, even the food pyramid that we learn in school. So that's why I was so excited. But I will say I have a dressing room of of women, my stylist, my hairstylist, my makeup artist, and we're all, we've all been keto together. And that's actually been really great. So when we all go out to lunch or when we used to be able to go out to lunch together, we would all kind of order the same things. Cause if one jerk orders French fries for the table, it's a lot harder. So I do find it, um, great. My husband's with, does it with me. And then my parents actually did it too. So my parents are now at their high school weight. And, you know, I thought they were going to kind of tease me and make fun of me, but they, when they knew the reasons why I was doing it, they said, we're going to do it too. Why wouldn't we? And everyone who has joined has stayed with it because they see the benefits. They feel the benefits. It, it feels like it's more sustainable than any other diet I've ever done. And I'm what, 15 or so years into doing it, including wow. the fasting. And, you know, it's just the least amount of work and the least amount of distractions of anything else. And it seems to have the most health benefits too. It's so true. And I've been so impressed. I'm four and a half years now. What products have been made available has been pretty remarkable. I mean, I love wine. I've always loved wine. And the fact that now you can have wine that's less than one gram of sugar per glass and you also get zero hangovers as well. Like you just think, wow, I can drink two glasses of wine, wake up and feel like I just drank two gallons of water. It's pretty remarkable. Not that the two are the same, but I just, I appreciate how the industry, the food industry has reacted to the benefits and made so many more just in the last few years. I can't imagine when it was like 15 years ago, I'm sure there was nothing Available. That was why I started a company to make that stuff, right? <laughs> and, you know, Bulletproof has done pretty well. But yeah, I'm like, I, I really would like yeah, to have a protein bar. A, yeah, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bulletproof I, coffee. You have a coffee named after you that yeah. everyone just says, oh, is that Bulletproof? Um, uh, but but it was, was it's just what it. you said. There just wasn't anything you could do. And you couldn't go to 7-Eleven and get anything that was food. By the way, now you can because now you they can. just started stocking the coffee. And for me, that was actually like one of the biggest, like an emotional experience because I'm like, wow, this was when I started things like, why can't I eat? And now I can. And and so I thank you for calling out what the food industry has done to change because it's not just bulletproof by a long shot. It's, it's actually respecting, oh, this is what people want. And I, I also recognize that it's scary if you make snack foods and you're like, but people who are fasting don't eat snack foods. And yeah, there's that. Um, do, you think we'll, <laughs> do you think we'll continue to see changes or is, you know, big food going to continue to tempt us with sugary crap? Well, I think there's always going to be that temptation, but I do think that more people than ever before recognize that sugar is a drug, that sugar is horrible for you. There's no benefit to it whatsoever. I mean, when you go to get a PET scan, when you are a cancer survivor, do you know what they inject in you before they scan your body? Glucose. Um, radioactive because sugar, right? Exactly. Because cancer cells love sugar. They love 
glucose. And so for that fact alone, I thought, why would I put, I started looking at desserts and looking at sugar as a mortal enemy. And it's not that that's going to be that dramatic for anyone else who hasn't gone through um, something like what I went through. But if we can look at it as why would I put this poison in my body? And I do think more and more people just intellectually, it makes sense. How is that good? How is that good? And why isn't fat, healthy fat, good for you? I know people are always afraid of cholesterol, that just all of these, all of this misinformation out there. I mean, I thought fat was the enemy. And then you start realizing, wait, no, it's sugar that's the enemy. And I do think, I do think we're going to see the food industry continue to step up because I think people are educating themselves. We are spreading the word and we are living proof. It's not even like, don't even listen to what I'm saying, but just see how I'm living, see what I'm capable of, see what I, what my body looks like. And that is the truth. That's the irrefutable proof right there. Do you worry about the type of fat you're eating? as a cancer survivor? Uh, so yes. I mean, obviously there are a million studies and, and most of them are against red meat. And, you know, I, um, I try to be balanced in what I eat, but I am a meat eater. I do love meat. I think a lot of it has been how it's prepared and how it was raised. So you're yes. making me dance here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so I'm very careful about grass fed beef about not searing beef, you know, all of the things. My dad's a microbiologist. You're so bulletproof. Those are the (laughs) hardest things to tell people. Like, don't burn your steak. They're like, shut up, Dave. I'm no, no, it matters. Okay. And listen to you. Okay. It (laughs) does matter because of the carcinogens. Right. So, you know, it's all about reading the information that's out there and then making good choices and, and doing things, you know, as you, as you say, you know, I eat, a lot of varying and different types of meat. And again, it's the quality of the meat. It's where your meat comes from. That all matters. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. It does. That's why I started growing my own meat. I'm right now recording this on an organic farm. We have lamb that's grass-fed and then some, and you you feel different when you eat it. That's awesome. What about omega-6 fats, seed oils, and their link to cancer? Do you minimize those? I do. I do. Oh, I've, so I've, good. I, I have, um, I, I try to cook with um, avocado oil. Um, you know, I don't do olive oil anymore. I know that that's not as, um, but I don't do any vegetable oils for sure. Like that is absolutely, that was one of the first things I threw in the trash can for years It's as ago. important as minimizing sugar for, for preventing cancer. And that's been a huge part of the whole bulletproof, uh, the, the diet and the books. And it's like, guys, stop eating that stuff. I know. Now I got to ask you, when's the last time you went out and had a scoop of grass-fed ice cream or something that actually had sugar in it? 
Oh, oh, something that actually had sugar in it. I mean, every now and then I will um, indulge. I'm trying to think when's the last time I had mm-mm-mm. my husband. I haven't had one yet, but brought home donuts and I am about to murder him. I was like, why did you bring that into the house? <laughs> so they're sitting there and I walked by them at least three times today and I have not, I, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Um, I think, I'm, I can't think of the last time, but there have been moments where maybe like a birthday cake, you know, I'll have a couple bites. Like those are the moments where you're like, okay, I can't be this like annoying person who won't have some birthday cake. So I think in special occasions where it's, you feel kind of like a jerk if you don't participate. Right, right. <laughs> Those are the moments I'm like, this isn't going to kill me to have a couple bites of birthday cake. That's usually when I'll indulge. Or if it's like, um, you know, like a, a dark chocolate mousse or a cheesecake or something, I'm like, I'll have a bite, you know? So every now and then that's fine. I don't think I'd sit down and have the entire slice or the entire dessert. Do you feel uh, guilty or worried when you do that? I did at first. In fact, I will tell you the first 18 months, I did not cheat one time. I was militant about it. And then, and I actually, like I said, got emotional if I even thought about looking at anything that had sugar in it and can even considering putting it in me because I just thought, why would I do that? Why would I do that? Um, so as time went on, I let myself every now and then say, okay, if you really want something, I, this is what I do. So I was in Italy and I really, 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 really wanted this, um, um, pasta and I don't really like pasta, but this was, um, what's the kind, um, the mushroom pasta. I I just, I was like, I'm in Italy, in Italy, I'm going to have this small dish. And then I thought, okay, is it worth a 20 hour fast? And I decided it was. So when I do indulge, I tell myself, is it worth a 20 hour fast? And if it's worth a 20 hour fast, then the few times that I felt it was, I did. And one of those times was in Italy. So, and then I felt fine. I fasted for 20 hours. I figured I went right back into ketosis and I was okay. <laughs> uh, it, it takes people some time. It, it, the way you're describing this, you go through the, the keto evangelist phase, which certainly yeah. I did a long time ago when I, on Atkins, you know, I lost 50 yeah. pounds, God. So I was like in early twenties and then like, you have to tell everyone and everyone's like, shut up. And you're like, oh, actually they don't want to listen to me. Okay. I'll shut up. Right. <laughs> and then from there you go through this, I'm never eating a carb again. And then yeah. you're like, there's a moderate thing. You know what? Sometimes it's worth it if I don't do it yeah. a lot. So, right. so Describing your evolution as, you know, a, a normal non-health expert, just saying like, these are what I went through. It's, it's really helpful for people to understand that. And, and sometimes the way to be keto is like, just shut up and eat keto and, and you know, you'll be judged less and it's okay. And then people ask you, what are you doing? Um, what, are, what are you doing differently? And so it's been, it's way cooler when people come up and ask you, what have you done and what are you doing? And like I said, letting the proof be what they see. You have five kids in your blended family. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Are they just like, mom, shut up already uh, about yes. keto? Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I actually had them um, do it with us because when they were a little bit younger, when I first started, they didn't have the ability to get their own food. So by default, they were eating keto-ish. And I know that it's not something, I mean, of course they go to school and have pizza and it wasn't as if they were strict keto, but while they were here, they pretty much were just healthy fats and no carbs in the house. And then it's hilarious. So I don't know what other people's kids like, you know, sneak in, but like, you know, my kids would like sneak in. I would say, 
oh my God, who cooked pasta? Like they would go <laughs> and spend their money at CVS and buy a box of pasta <laughs> and cook it and try to hide it. And I thought, this is crazy. So they're older now. I've shown them, they've seen the transformation I've had and they get to make their own choices now. So I've really eased up on what their choices are and they can decide what they want to decide. But I can tell you, I already see them looking at the, like my steps on Wyatt just to drink sugar. And that was like my big thing. The other day he accidentally got a Dr. Pepper instead of a diet Dr. Pepper. And he went, oh my God. And he saw that it had, I believe, 60 grams of sugar in it. And he said, I can't even believe this. And he dumped it in the sink and threw it in the trash. And I thought, yes. Wow. You know, sometimes like they, and you know, the fact that they're even looking back at the label and looking at the sugar or the carb content, I do think that there's a foundation there for them to make better choices um, as they get older. But yes, they, and they've really enjoyed some of these meals. And they kind of say things like, I'm not going to lie, mom, this is pretty good. You know, that's about <laughs> as good of a compliment as I get. Um, but they haven't embraced it. They've tolerated it. And I do think it's built a foundation for them later. Most kids, if you just switch to healthy fats, more saturated fats, less seed oils, they like it better. Yeah. And it that's a, a painless thing to do. How old's your youngest? 14. 14. Okay. So my daughter's 13 and you know, they're, it, it's, it's a very interesting age where they do end up having more food autonomy and, and it's okay. And you just hope you did right before then. <laughs> um, how, how did they respond? I mean, they were much younger with mm -hmm. a cancer diagnosis. Were they real supportive of your diet at the beginning or was it sort of out of the sphere of understanding? Yes. I think, you know, initially, and they know why I started it and why I do it. And they know it has nothing to do with weight loss. Although I did lose weight, which I wasn't even expecting, but then I, you know, I, and, and basically I'm my high school weight and I actually didn't even think I had any weight to lose, but I think they've seen how strong and fit and sharp and happy and just energetic I am and they get why I'm doing it. And so, yes, they've always been supportive, always. I, I've never felt anything but support when it comes to my choices. And in fact, you know, I, I know for a fact, both of my daughters are really into the, um, they, they don't do like a significant fast, but they don't, they, they punt breakfast until like 11. So they they definitely say that they feel better when they don't eat breakfast, which is obviously the opposite of how I was raised. And when I was, when they were, when I was bringing them up, I was like, you have to eat breakfast, you have to eat breakfast. And I used to make them and they didn't want to. And so now they said that was the best thing that no one's making them have to have breakfast now because they don't want to. My daughter just hit that too. She's like, daddy, I, I just don't want it. I'm like, oh, don't have breakfast. You know, yeah. if you're going to go to school though, you're going to have to figure that out. But on weekends, it's sort of, unless yeah. we make something with bacon and good stuff, yeah, just not not of interest, uh, yeah. which is amazing. Kids seem to know what works if only we don't break it, right? It's true. I mean, from the time they were young, they always fought me on breakfast and I would always make them have it. And now it's, they, that was like, that was the big win. They were very excited that I did not. And suddenly I felt comfortable allowing them not to have breakfast. Um, I, uh, I'm hopeful that all this stuff I've taught my kids will stick at some point. Uh, you mentioned- <laughs> You mentioned diet, uh, diet sodas. Um, do you yeah. use NutraSweet and all that kind of stuff, or that's just your kids doing it? I do not. I do not drink any of that. And I have, believe me, when I, before all of this, there was always some sort of diet soda in my house. Now there is none. And anything they have, they've gone out and gotten on their own. But I figure at least in those moments when they've chosen to use their own money to get a diet Dr. Pepper, at least it's better than getting 
a Dr. Pepper. You know, I know that there are still issues with, with a lot of uh, any sort of chemical that they're putting in their body other than water. But I will tell you, we have Brita filters and we're big LaCroix people. I hope you don't have anything against that, but we pretty much go through. Carbonated water is great for you. It's probably better than regular water. And no, it doesn't make you all acidic. You breathe out the CO2. (laughs) There's no science to say CO2 is bad for you. It's good for you. (laughs) Good. Well, we have an entire refrigerator that my kids have called the LaQuidge. And it's like basically LaCroix. Ours is ours has some LaCroix, some Zevia, and some Pellegrino in it. Pellegrino, um, yeah. So my kids fridge, all yeah. love sparkling water, um, and that's our go-to always. And Diet Coke or Diet whatever is a special occasion that might happen once a month for them. But we, I've really made a point to not have that at all in the house. Um, it's uh, it, it's so cool. You you've actually done so many of the things that are, are in the lifestyle that, that I've been evangelizing for a long time. Um, where did you get all this information? I mean, online and, you know, my friends and I, we have an amazing friend group and we're constantly sharing different articles and different research that we find in different health magazines. And we're always on the lookout for that. And even someone who I work with, Dr. Jen Ashton, who I love, she is not only is she an MD and an OBGYN, but she's also has her nutrition degree from Columbia. And so she and I are always sending things back and forth too. So she, she's also intermittent fasting and, um, she's modified keto, but she just told me about these amazing Palm Mary, these, uh, angel hair pasta, that's hearts of Palm. Like, so we're always, and all of us are trading different secrets and things that we found. And, you know, it's, it's been really a, an awesome group of women who have just been sharing information and then doing some of the research and, and following up with new articles. It's been awesome. It, this is something that's really new. Because I, I kind of thought you might say, oh, I hired this amazing doctor who put me on this special <laughs> diet. But yeah. y- there's enough information from yeah. enough credible people that if you sit down with a couple friends, you can source it yourself and decide what to do. But you're, I mean, you've got your oils right. Um, you've got <laughs> your your sugars right. Uh, you've got your IF and you keep, like you're, you're doing all this stuff, which is really impressive. I, I, I was going to say, who's the secret doctor behind you? But it, no. it I love this. So you're an example of how anyone without a giant doctor's bill can figure out what you figured out. It's so true. It's so true. I mean, it's just, we have so much information. Obviously, you need to know how to vet information and know what's real and what's not. And that's, you know, that's a little bit of a slippery slope just when it comes to the web. But I have been, obviously, you know what some, you know, certain sources that are trusted in this world, the New York Times, you know, you've got, you know, certain magazines. Um, Men's Health actually was the first one interestingly, that, that sparked my interest. And that was the study on metastatic mice and, and ketosis. They had, um, a set of metastatic mice, half of them were put on the sad diet, the standard American diet, and the other half were put on keto and the keto mice lived twice as long. And I just, I remember reading that and I started sobbing because it just, I just thought, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? And there's just been a recent article that Dr. Jen sent me about combining chemo with keto in lessening the effects. I mean, oh my gosh, when I was on chemo, I gained 10 pounds because all I did was eat carbs because I was so sick and so nauseated and so, and I felt so sorry for myself. And I just wanted to eat pizza and pasta. And that's all I did. And I gained weight. And when I was finished with keto, I had to, I'm uh, chemo. I had to lose weight, which is not what people necessarily, you know, think of when they think of chemo. And I couldn't believe that I had um, gained weight 
on chemo, but it happened because all I did was eat carbs. And then when I started changing my life, my oncologist was, she was one of the first people who said, what are you doing? And I told her about keto and she was surprised, started doing research, started doing it herself. She and her husband started doing it. And now she tells her patients about it. So how about that? <laughs> I, I had a conversation at the beginning of Bulletproof with the CEO of a Fortune 100 company who had pancreatic cancer. And it was, Dave, do not tell anyone. I never told anyone. And the day he figured it out, um, he was inoperable because it was too big. So he did chemo, but he immediately went keto right away. Yeah. He did chemo, but he did something called insulin potentiated therapy because cancer cells love sugar so much during the chemo, he'd inject insulin to make the cancer cells like suck up the chemo and his doctors yeah. wouldn't support him, even though other doctors do that. So he just kind of snuck the insulin in. He shrunk his pancreatic tumor to the point it was operable and he never told his family uh. or his workplace, but he saved his life with chemo. Wow. And with just knowing, it was basically keto and chemo. Uh, I have chills right now because that makes sense. Scientifically, it makes yeah. sense. I, IPT, it's called. And, and it, I've known about this for 20 years. And in fact, we're not wow. doing it regularly in every cancer clinic. just drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm glad you told me about it because yeah, it I will be keep that your, in my back pocket. Yeah, I mean, that is... Absolutely. And that makes so much sense. It, it just does on every level. I wish I had had the information that... I got after the fact while I was going through treatment, I would have 100% done that. Also, it's just a cool thing to know that you have power. You can control what you put in your body and you can have an impact on your outcome. And that's what we all feel out of control. That's where, you know, all the fear is because you're thinking, I can't do anything. It's happening to me and I have no say, but actually we do have so much more say than we think. And that's what this information that you're providing to people gives back the power to the patient, to the person. It, in fact, that's in the definition of biohacking. It's blah, 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 so that you have full control over your own biology. Because yeah. there's a sense of betrayal. If you're obese like I was and your brain isn't working, or if, if you get cancer, you're like, how could my body do this to me? Right. And you you really have admirably just stepped up and taken control. And and I have a, a question for you, though. I. I've seen so many, I, I mean, hundreds of thousands of, of people over the years with the all the blogging and stuff that I do and just personal conversations. A lot of women who go keto or intermittent fasting have said, you know, I felt really good at first and then mm. my sleep quality went down and then my mm. hormones got irregular and then my hair got thinner. Mm. Uh, did any of that? Well, I guess hair got thin because of, well, <laughs> of yeah, chemo. Well, but. Uh, well, chemo, yeah. But, and then I'm also on tamoxifen. So I'm on tamoxifen and that is um, something that basically strips all my estrogen away. So, you know, you know, Hollywood starlets do hormone replacement therapy and add estrogen to their um, beauty regime so that they look youthful and their skin is dewy and their hair is thick and all of that. Um, so I'm battling that on that level. But I actually would argue my personal experience has been through keto, through fitness, through intermittent fasting. I feel like I regained some of what I lost and what I lose with the drugs I take. So I don't feel like my hair, um, in fact, 
and then I'm also someone who takes, you know, I, I take biotin, I take, you know, daily supplements. I try to get obviously all of that through my food, number one, but I just do whatever I can. And I have not noticed that. Um, I have not noticed um, even some of the side effects that people talk about with tamoxifen. I had them initially. And then when I started doing keto and intermittent fasting, I feel like, I mean, I don't think it's in my head. They went away. People say they can't tolerate tamoxifen. I'm fine on it. It's because you're biologically more resilient because you learned how to eat, you fixed your cell membranes. And the longer you do it, uh, it takes two years to replace half the fat in your body, another two years to replace another. So you're you're upgrading your cells, which you can handle more of everything in the world. Exactly. Which is, exactly. Which is beautiful. Yeah. And that intermittent fasting, allowing your cells to repair themselves. I love thinking about that when I'm fasting, thinking I'm giving my body a chance to do something other than digest. And wow, that also just makes so much sense. And why would, from anti-aging to anti-cancer, uh, it just makes so much sense. And I can tell you, you know, you mentioned your brain on chemo. I remember that actually was one of the scariest side effects of them all. I obviously I'm on live television for a living. And I remember not remembering the day before at all. Short term memory, term memory was gone. I wasn't, my brain wasn't firing. I couldn't think of what to say. I had nothing to respond. I remember being panicked that someone was going to say something because I wouldn't know what to say back. I mean, it was the, the, that loss of trust for your brain is mind-blowingly scary. And so I remember with, especially when I started doing keto and intermittent fasting, seeing my brain come back to me was everything, everything. Now you're giving me goosebumps. Um, I I was living with that. I don't know what that person just said. I just can't remember it in my mid twenties and my career was mm -hmm. growing and I had an intellectually demanding job and I was already starting to be in front of crowds uh, in the tech industry, but still pretty. And I'm like, oh my God, they're going to know that I have no yeah. clue what's happening right now. And somehow you, you kind of make it up. And it's so, it's so terrifying. It was one of the motivators for me to to start doing the stuff that became Bulletproof just because yeah. it, it's one of the scary things and no one ever talks about it. No. Um, so thank you for sharing that because there are people listening right now who have brain fog. They're like, oh my God, I thought I was alone. People, <laughs> no. we hide it. People didn't know you had it, did they? No, no, no. And I, it was my biggest fear that they would, like you said. And so this is a call out to anyone who has brain fog like that. You got to work on it and talk about it. Uh, because A, you're not alone. Uh, right. It happens to everyone, uh, whether or not you've had chemo. And sometimes it's worse than others. But oh my God, I, I had I had kind of forgotten about how terrifying that was until you just brought it up. So, um, and keto <laughs> and I have fixed it for you and for me and, and for a lot of people. Yep. Wow. Um, your mom started yeah. a, a website, myketohome.com. Because I mean, to be the age of our parents and back to your high school weight and all is pretty life-changing. Uh, how how do you feel about your your mom becoming an online influencer? I love it so much. She spent her whole life raising us. She was a, a teacher for a while. And then, you know, to have a second career in her 60s is pretty awesome. But I love where it came from because she was always somebody who loved cooking and in the kitchen. But once keto happened, she was actually a huge source for me. We were going back and forth with how we could make things we love keto, and then actually wound up tasting better than they did originally. And so I would be calling her mom, wait, what did you do with this? And we were emailing and texting. And finally I said, mom, why don't you just like put all these recipes down on a website? So not just I can use it, but so many other people can, because these 
recipes are so amazing. I want everyone to taste how good, like a, a, a lifestyle, a diet never tasted so good. And so we, we kind of pushed her. Uh, my husband works in the, um, web space and his company actually helps monetize websites just like my mom's in terms of advertising dollars. So it was a nice, easy move for her because my, my husband could help her. And it was a big process. It took her over a year just to get everything together and then to start putting out these recipes on her own website. But I'm so proud of her and I'm on her website every day. All of my friends are too. They're, it's so cute on Good Morning America. Everyone's like, I cooked your mom's sage pork chops last night. <laughs> you know, I have everyone coming and telling me, uh, you know, that they're cooking my mom's recipes. And it's so cool to hear that. Uh, it's, it's actually super fun. In fact, my, I had someone come up to my daughter and she thought she was going to say, oh, your mom's Amy Roebuck. And she said, wait, is your grandma Joni Robach? And so it was, <laughs> it was so cool. She's like, mom, she didn't even care about you. She just wanted to know about Noni because that's what we call my mom, Noni. And uh, I thought that was an awesome moment. We shared it with her. Oh, uh, that is so impressive and awesome. <laughs> and I'm hopeful I'm, there's a few hundred thousand people here this interview and we're all always looking for recipes yeah. that don't have all the carbs and sugar and don't have bad fats. So Guys, myketohome.com, and that's uh, we didn't plan this interview for that or anything, but a source of recipes like that that are tested by people like to eat. There you yeah. go. Now you have some, <laughs> some more recipes, which is really cool. Um, what if if a woman came to you right now mm-hmm. and said, "I'm thinking about starting IF"? What is the number one benefit that you would tell mm-hmm. her uh, that she would get? Energy. It's energy. energy. Energy and then time, but they kind of go hand in hand. I have never felt more energized and and free. I mean, it just like to, to say one thing's hard, but I'd say energy, time, and freedom. Energy, time, and freedom. Wow. Okay, uh, those are uh, those are so important for everyone. And it's very hard to write a book and say get more energy. And I always kind of torture my uh, my editors to say, no, we have to put energy on the cover because there's like weight loss, weight loss, weight loss because people buy books for that. Uh, right. But thank you for for just straight up. Yeah, you get your energy back. And and once you have that, everything else is is better. Right. And people always say, I'm sure you hear it too, my colleagues will look at me and say, really, you haven't eaten anything today? How are you not on the floor sleeping? And I say, it's the opposite. Do you see how much energy I have? I swear it's counterintuitive. I know you think you have to eat to have energy, but that's not the way it is. And so I, I have people constantly scratching their heads, especially those of us who work early morning hours. There is a tendency to overeat. Uh, your cortisol levels are probably down because you haven't slept as much as you should have, or at least they're askew. And, and then you end up just going in for like the sugary yogurt or the donut because we got a Krispy Kreme that just opened in Times Square. So I see all my, not all my, but a lot of the co- my colleagues, you know, you know, having those sugary drinks and eating uh, yogurt and, and um, donuts asking me, how I can stand not to eat, but it's, I'm looking at them thinking, Oh, if you just put that down, you'd feel a hundred thousand times better. Um, it's, it's one of those things where I still practice patience and I don't say it. Uh, but I, I'm always just <laughs> kind of sad when I see someone who's really heavy with the donut and the diet soda, um, or regular soda, because it was me. Right? Like I, I was that 300 pound guy doing exactly that. And I just didn't know better, but I know if I walk up and say something, it's, it's, it's actually not kind and yeah. I, you, you never do. 
Um, and by sharing inf information like you just did here, I hope that we can find a few people who are dealing mm -hmm. with it of any age and just like what you just said, it's about the energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, I think it's pretty cool just to know that you don't have to be a slave to it because it is a drug. I mean, sugar is absolutely a drug. And once you stop ingesting it, you don't want it anymore. It's really remarkable. And if I do taste something, all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, I ugh. actually, I think I go ugh when I taste it because you, you can taste the sugar and it's repulsive. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. Well, you've, you've set your life up in such a, a beautiful way. And I think you've inspired a lot of people, um, especially women. Oh, you know, fasting is for men or, or whatever. No, it works for everyone and it works at different levels and different times. And just by w being willing to share an hour with us, I, I'm really grateful. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing, all that you have done. Uh, I probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for you and what you did uh, blazing that trail beforehand. So thank you. Uh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Keep doing what you're doing and be an example for people, but don't be that person who walks around going, you have to do what I do because you don't have to do that. And if you want those recipes, myketohome.com. And I'm just plugging that to be nice. There is no, no arrangement to do that, but more recipes are always better. Have an awesome day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.